So there's a lot that needs to happen to really start to upskill our teachers. And it's not just in secondary, it's in early childhood, it's in primary, it's in TAFE and it's in higher ed. Because digital literacy in the digital economy requires skills from the literacy point of view, but right up to digital leadership. You're listening to KBCast, the cybersecurity podcast for all executives. Cutting through the jargon and hype to understand the landscape where risk and technology meet. Now, here's your host, Carissa Breen. Gail, welcome to the show. I'm really excited to have you here today. I know that we did speak a while back, but some of the things that you sort of raised with me, I think are really big points of contention in the industry. And I believe from our discussions, you'll be able to shed more of an honest viewpoint about what people can sort of expect, what the reality is and how people can move forward in this space. So before we dive on into that, we always like to start our podcast off with talking about you and your journey. So can you please talk our listeners through where you started to where you are now? Thanks, Carissa, and thanks for having me. Well, I left school when I was 17 and didn't really know what I wanted to do. Moved to Melbourne when I was about 19 and really just had a crack at everything. So I did everything from receptionist to admin to temp work and just worked in lots of different organisations from telecommunications to manufacturing to energy and just really got my hands across lots of different sort of industries and sectors I guess. But what I found that I always ended up in all of these types of roles is just helping people problem solve their IT issues and their software issues. So I was the go-to person and found that I really loved that problem solving part of things. So that led me to think about what it would be like to become a teacher. I'd always had had an affinity for that when I was at high school. And so what jumped out to me was an opportunity to become a TAFE teacher in vocational education and training. So when I was pregnant with my first daughter, I went back to school and retrained and got my certificate. So I was able to do TAFE teaching and landed a couple of sessional roles, so just part-time roles. I had my children and while they were growing up and really enjoyed the TAFE sector, really enjoyed the practical part of it, enjoyed seeing um, mature age workers and disenfranchised workers and disadvantaged youth really build their confidence when they learnt these skills and actually went on to be quite employable. So I really enjoyed watching that journey unfold in front of me. So that became my passion. And the rest is history, really. I've then just worked my way up through the sector and just taken on a variety of roles. I seem to have landed more in the innovation and startup space. So I guess the past 10 years have been spent in startup projects and building them from scratch. And here I am today. Have you seen a bit of a dip in terms of people going to TAFE? Because, I mean, there's definitely been reports out that people aren't doing formal education as they have probably in the last 20-plus years. What's your sort of view on that? Yeah, that's a good question. I think 10 years ago nearly when the contestability hit Victoria and there was about $300 million wiped off the TAFE bottom line, that really impacted the quality of training. So we had a lot of private, what they call private RTOs set up and they began to offer offer training that was normally done in the sector. And it sort of meant that a lot of the, yeah, the quality of the training just wasn't there. So I think the reputation of TAFE went down a little bit. But what was also happening at the time is the expectation that school leavers would go to university. So the university sector really was the place to go and you only went to TAFE if you were going to work in trades or you were going to work in early childhood and maybe become a hairdresser. So that definitely, TAFE sector and TAFE training took a hit. But what I'm seeing now, it's actually starting to flip the other way because what employers are asking for is more practical, hands-on skills. The academic learning is great, but 
a lot of industry people that I work closely with will talk about the fact that once they employ them, they have to retrain them. They have to actually provide them with quite specific training. And of course, that's not in all sectors, but it's in a lot of sectors. And we're finding young people just aren't getting jobs once they leave university like they used to many years ago. So what do you think young people are doing? So I've heard people going and doing a university degree, can't find a job for whatever reason. They're either going and doing another type of retail role or they're choosing to go and study something else. Yeah, look, that's true. I mean, there's a lot of youth unemployment, particularly here in the West, and I think COVID has really impacted us and has driven that youth unemployment, those youth unemployment figures up. A lot more young people are staying at home because they can't afford to move out. And as you said, you know, they're working in hospitality and they're sort of floundering a little bit about what should I do? You know, what's out there for me? And there's that real um, disconnect between what industry are providing and what young people know is available. And then the challenge, how do I get there? So how do I actually find the right training to get myself a job? And it's something that they want to do as well. And I think COVID, yeah, has really just knocked everyone's confidence around as well. And the hospitality jobs just aren't there anymore for them to sort of fall back on. So we are starting to see, yeah, a lot more people enter in the TAFE sector, particularly our Cert4 and cybersecurity that's been offered through free TAFE. And it's giving people, young people, but also displaced workers, opportunity to retrain and think about a different career. When you talk about youth unemployment, what would you say is the main key for that being like attributed from in terms of, would you say people aren't really aware what types of careers are out there because I, I was talking to someone the other day and the, she was saying that her daughter's like year 11 or 12 and she was getting my view on career counsellors and I mean I went to school a while back but for me I was like look the stuff that you're sort of saying I would say is a bit of like a redundant role or a bit obsolete like I'm surprised they're not talking about these the digital side of things and she's like yeah I just I was a little bit shocked by that like that's why I'm asking for your opinion so I feel that Perhaps this is sort of derived from school and then they can't really see a path forward, which is probably putting them back into this unemployment space. Yeah, that's a good point. And look, there's probably a lot to unpack there. I think the challenge for schools to keep up with the fast pace of change and it's only going to get faster. Now, you also look at career practitioners and advisor advisors. If they aren't connected closely with industry and industry bodies, they don't actually know what these new emerging careers look like and how what those pathways that young people can undertake to get there. So there's definitely a lack of knowledge and understanding and education about these jobs, particularly in STEM and, and the digital tech space. So that's a big issue. Also, the number one influences our parents and if parents are afraid of that robots might you know take over the world and take people's jobs and you know there's that misunderstanding that in actual fact you know robots aren't going to take your job but you will be working side by side so it's having the parents with the knowledge to actually be able to offer their children advice around what's out there so there's a big piece of work that needs to be done in educating parents uh, career advisors on what's happening out there in the real world let's call it and what what are the skills industry are looking for? Now, that's a lot for teachers, career advisors and parents to keep up with. And I guess the role that I play here at the tech school is really a big part of our work is how do we promote careers of the future? How do we connect young people to industry? How do we get them excited about the opportunities available to them? We know that the word STEM is very off-putting. We know the word IT is very off-putting. So how do we in the schools actually change the language? Because every single industry sector requires digital technology skills. So tell me a sector that doesn't require digital tech skills. Mm, None really, because they lose computers. Well, I hope people are using computers if they're doing some form of work of that. I mean, everyone sort of uses it now to some degree or not. Like even if it's not full time, like eight hours a day, you're still using it to some capacity to send emails and things like that. 
Yeah, and the content creation space is booming. You know, we just got to look at content creation in relation to game design, in relation to digital signage that we now have everywhere, in relation to everything that you see on your mobile phone, everything that you see on a computer. Someone has had to design that artwork. Someone's had to code that platform. So there's so many jobs in this content creation space that are just not being taught in the schools and are not being uh, communicated to young people that there are well-paid careers, not to mention the gig economy where a young person can start work in this space while they're at school and get paid to create content. So there's just that lack of understanding of what's out there and what's available and how to get started. So what are the skills, not just the technical school skills we talk about, the cognitive skills that we talk about in relation to how do you network, how do you go to meetups, how do you get your LinkedIn profile set up, how do you actually start to engage in, with industry before you even leave school. So we need to educate parents and career advisors and teachers that this education and how to actually get a job when you leave school needs to start while they're at school. No, you're absolutely right. So Gail, talk to me a little bit more about what you're doing at Wyndham Tech School and what is your sort of vision for the school? You touched on it lightly, but I'd like to sort of go into that a little bit more because, I mean, when we spoke originally I really like your viewpoints. I like the way you think. You're honest and you say it how it is. And I think that's exactly why we're having this interview because I believe it's going to really open up people's eyes about what the reality is of happening in the market and how we can ultimately solve the problems. Yeah, so Wyndham Tech School is funded by Department of Education and Training and it's hosted by Victoria University and it's Polytechnic. So There's 10 of them in in Victoria and the objective of this partnership between government and university and TAFE was really to place these centres which teach skills in science, technology, engineering and maths in 10 areas in Victoria and we would then partner with our local secondary schools. The vision really is around connecting students to their future. So our role is not to replicate what many of our schools already do quite well, but to enhance what they do and extend what they do. But I guess the real X factor in these tech schools is the fact that we are a hub for industry. So we're about ensuring that everything that we create here, so the programs that we create here, the events that we hold here, are all in partnership with industry. But if we look at the actual purpose and sort of how Wyndham Tech School is set up, it's really about Industry 4.0 and just that connectivity between the digital and the physical with, of course, the Internet of Things. So everything's connected today. So it's about ensuring that the skills that are required as far as the Internet of Things are, are also taught. But more importantly, or just as importantly, is the security element. So it's about making sure that the cybersecurity element is wrapped around that. We also do a lot in the science space and one of the advantages of Victoria University hosting Wyndham Tech School from our secondary school point of view is that we have some of the world's leading researchers here at Werribee campus and we connect our young people with those researchers to work on experiments and projects. So it's about, you know, extending, as I said, but uh, what our secondary schools already do and making sure that everything we do is about connecting students to the future. So we always got to be in front what's happening, what's next. So our young people can be inspired, raise the aspirations that this is possible for them to have a well-paid career in these areas. So let's switch gears for a second. You mentioned that teachers in schools don't have adequate training when it comes to digital literacy skills. Why is this the case? Yeah, well, it's for a lot of reasons. So a lot of our teachers are digital immigrants, so they weren't born into technology. So they've had to learn along the way and they've had to keep up with it. And if you're an English teacher, you will probably never use technology in the class. So they they haven't had to keep up with technology. But what's changed is if you're an English teacher now, you're going to be using Mm. technology to communicate into the future. So it's about 
teaching English, but teaching it and it being published through presentation platforms mm. like Spark. So, and having a digital portfolio. So that's really important, that students work. So even an English teacher today needs digital literacy skills. So what the challenge has been is that the schools haven't been able to keep up with, as I said before, the fast pace of change and the curriculum hasn't been able to keep up. So there's now this widening gap between what young people are leaving school with, the skills they're leaving school with, and what skills industry are wanting to employ for. So there's that issue. Also, I think when we look at what is happening in the Bachelor of Education, so when young people Mm. go on to university to become a teacher, what's being taught in that curriculum? So if things like digital literacy, cybersecurity, data analytics and the STEM skills that that I referred to previously aren't part of their teaching practice, then when they come into the school sector, they're already behind the eight ball. So there's a lot that needs to happen to really start to upskill our teachers. And it's not just in secondary, it's in early childhood, it's in primary, it's in TAFE and it's in higher ed. Because digital literacy and the digital economy requires skills from the literacy point of view, but right up to digital leadership. Mm. I don't know whether it was you that I was speaking to, or perhaps I read it. It's more about transforming school curriculums on computational thinking, more so than doing physical maths like on a notebook and a pencil, for example. So it's more about the theory and and how you get to the answer, not so much about the answer. Would you say that we're a while away from that though? Because I even go back to when I was in high school, like we weren't even close to this stuff at all. Yeah, we are probably a while away from it. Um, It's to be a massive, a shake-up, I think, of priorities in our schools. And to be fair to our schools, you know, they have a jam-packed curriculum. They have a short amount of time to deliver outcome. The focus is on the ATAR still and on standardised testing. So for a school, that's their priority and that's what they get measured by. So until the measures are put into place around disrupting the curriculum so that the digital literacy is underpinned in every single subject, then we that gap is only going to get wider in relation to where we need to be, you know, on the world stage globally, that is too. So we definitely have a long way to go in being able to have an education system that has suitably qualified teachers in this space. But in saying that, industry are also struggling. So they're also constantly have a gap now in upskilling and reskilling their workforce. And with COVID, that's become a massive problem because all the software solution implementations and all the IT implementations that were a five-year plan became a six-month plan. So all of a sudden, there's a grab for skills and also, uh, you know, the upskilling that needs to happen with the workforce. Just look at Zoom, the Zoom boom, and around how quickly everyone had to upskill to use video conferencing platforms. No, you're absolutely right. And I'm speaking to people in market that specialise in, like, recruitment. They're just like, I can't get candidates. Or I've got people I'm speaking to saying I can't get a BA and it's you know, there's a lot of them out there, right? And it's like, and I'm paying well above market rates because I need someone and I can't get anyone. So. Yeah, I heard that. We had a panel discussion the other day, future panel discussion, and I had the head of CIO at City West Water, Jen, was talking about, you know, applications. She said, like, a couple of years ago, she'd get 100 applications for a role. She said now she's getting about six applications so you know that skill shortage and I call it an invisible skill shortage in tech because no one's talking about it you know we talk about trades a lot and construction and we talk about building a lot but no one's talking about the lack of digital you know literacy candidates across all sectors of including cyber and data analytics and and the list goes on so that invisible skill shortage is going to, is hitting Australia right here, right now, and it is a very competitive space. And then you look at the youth unemployment, and you go, oh my, you know, oh my God, like these young kids, are no doubt, would pick it up, pick these skills up very, very quickly. So how do we tackle that youth unemployment and also displaced workers because of COVID and retrenched workers? How do we get them upskilled into these occupations that, as I said, are, are very, very well paid and have great career prospects? 
No, you're absolutely right. And before we dive on to the digital growth and skill set side of things, I'd really just love to get your thoughts on going back to the teaching side of things for a moment. Yeah. What do you believe is sort of the plan to ensure teachers have the right training moving forward? Because even some of the people I know who are teachers, they're like, no, I've never heard of this in my life. And it's like, oh, okay. And then I almost feel that we're incubating school students that were sort of, I wouldn't say setting them up for failure by no means. That's not what I'm saying. It's just more so there's a big gap. So they're coming out of year 12 and they're like, cool, the thing that I thought that I should be doing doesn't exist anymore. And no one's told me about these other things. And then therefore, like you said, it's, it's cyclical. They go into the youth unemployment and then we're not really getting the talent that we need. And probably because they don't have the right trajectory from the get go. Yeah, well, it's. I think your question with teacher capability and how we're tackling it, I'm not sure there is, well, I haven't seen a policy around tackling it as a sector from an education point of view. The role of the tax schools is to upskill teachers. So there, our role is to teachers will come into tax schools, they'll be part of our programs, they'll be part of our tech tasters, they'll be part of our events, and they will start to understand what the skill requirements are, where these jobs are, and then they take our programs from the tech school back into their schools. So that plan is in place as far as how do we actually do that right here, right now. But the problem is, as I said, is is bigger than that because it's also about the fact that career advisors who are giving young people advice about what careers are available to them aren't promoting these careers in the tech space. So we've also got to get to them. So it's a teacher, career advisor, parent, industry square that we need to look at because we need to connect all those people together to really communicate to them what's going on in industry and where the jobs are. And it's not just skills that, you know, for them to work in Australia. We're still a global economy, and one thing that survived very, very well through COVID has been tech. The tech industry has boomed, and that's because we can do what we're doing today just over a computer. We can have conversations, we can problem solve, we can work in our cybersecurity and in our data analytics, and we can do all that project management and team-based work through a computer. So our young people can also work on international projects in Australia or in regional. So these are, yeah, industries and areas and growth that is just not being spoken about. So I think it's going to take a collective of people like yourself, like me and industry and TAFE and university and getting all these players together to start a movement. And that movement has to be exciting, it has to be challenging, it has to be productive. There needs to be real cases and stories and messages. We need mentors and role models and we need to get all these peoples together as a collective and work in partnerships with our schools. And the other thing, you know, schools really need is to to get closer to industry themselves. You know, maths can be taught multiple of ways through programming and through problem solving, through the work that we do here in the tech school with our robotics. It's all maths related, the work that we do here. So it's almost like hiding, you know, you're hiding the vegetables. So, you know, so kids are just having fun, but they're learning maths along the way. And that's the project-based work that we do with our industry partners So it's about schools need to get closer to industry to really enable young people to work on industry problems that are challenging, that are exciting, and that have an outcome at the end. So we do a project with our local agricultural area here called Villisha Farms. You know, the students would take some video footage of the production line and their task was to reduce waste on the production line, reduce potential safety issues, look at how your productivity can be improved. And they would do that and then simulate that through software using maths to challenge the production lead times and then produce those back to industry. It's a four-day workshop that's industry-based, that has an industry client involved, that's solving a real-world problem, that's using maths and technology and engineering and all those skills that we're talking about on a real problem which they will get when they hit the workforce. And they love it and they're engaged and it's teamwork and it's fun but they're learning, they're using a lot of maths in relation to that particular problem. 
So more of those types of challenges, you know, we need to see a lot more of those in the schools. And that's going to be a challenge for schools. How do we, how do they bring industry closer? No, that's a really good point. And it's a sort of the type of maths changes and how you do it. Like I remember sitting there in, in math exams and you'd have to do this long formula and it's like, oh, formula's wrong. You missed, you missed a line off. So you're wrong straight away. And it's like, oh, okay. Yeah. I don't even know whether I'm assuming they still teach people like that, but it's like, but I still got the same answer. But you're getting up me because I missed a line of the working out. They're like, I want to see you're working out. And it's like, okay, I get that. But I think that there needs to be a bit more of a transformation on how we are teaching people because we're going to have a deficit, which we already know that we've got in this space. But the other thing that still perplexes me is why these career advisors are still not touching on this at all. Like, I, I can't even imagine what roles they are saying for young people to do. I mean, maybe because I'm in this space and all I see is cyber and technology all day and my whole life sort of revolves around it. Maybe I'm missing something here, but I'm just curious, like what type of roles are they advising people to do if it's not this stuff? Yeah, they'll fall back on what they traditionally know. So there's, you know, the science and you can go into accounting and you can go into be a doctor, you can be a lawyer, you can be a hairdresser. So there's those traditional roles that they've always spoken about, communications, you know, degrees in, in arts and communications and, and maybe even in IT and things like that. So they will talk about the traditional qualifications that come through from universities. And I think that's okay if a young person has aspirations to go to university. But what about these young people that don't want to go to university? Not because they're not smart, just because the thought of doing a four-year degree is not something they want to invest in. They want to, you know, they want to hit the ground running. They want to get a job. They want to get out into the workforce. They might want to leave home. They might want to travel so they're looking for to get into the workforce and once they're in the workforce they will you know retrain or upskill or move around and there's nothing wrong with that so I think what the career advisors are missing is the fact that you can do a 12-month course through a polytechnic or a TAFE and you know I'll use cybersecurity for example because that's what I look after and that cert for in cybersecurity is is a 12-month course and at the end of it, there's grad opportunities. And I recently, we recently placed two grads at the end of that Cert 4 with companies that are approaching us because there's obviously a shortage of talent. So they're now coming to us and saying, we want the, the pick of the crop. We want your best students. We want them to pitch to us and we want to recruit them and we want to recruit them now. Now that's a 12 month investment and there's a job at the end of it. So how do we start to, how do career advisors start to understand that you know, TAFE isn't the poor cousin that, the you know, poor people, cousin. why would you go there? You know, you've got to go to university. So there's always been that bit of snobbery, I think, around TAFE. But, you know, it's about, and, and I don't know if career advisors understand what, what's on offer. We've changed, you know, things have improved. I mean, yes, many years ago, there wasn't a big choice, but that choice is now getting, you know, there's a lot more choice. So they need to get themselves or keep up to date with what's available in that that TAFE space because every single data scientist is going to need 10 people to support a data scientist. You can get the data analytical training through a TAFE and work within a team. Even in cybersecurity, you're learning data analytics, you're looking at problem solving, you're looking at patterns. So there's lots of different avenues and there's lots of well-paid jobs at the end of these courses at, at TAFE. So there's a lot of work to be done in educating and re-educating career advisors on what's available. And you will find the other challenge that school has is that career advisors move around a lot. So it's a role that sometimes a teacher might, you might have been a teacher for a time, but you know they need someone in the career advisor, so they'll move a teacher into that role. It's got to move up in the hierarchy of profile in a school. So a career advisor needs to become a highly sought after role by teachers or those that are wanting to move up the ladder because that role is critical to advising young people on job opportunities so we don't see the youth unemployment that we're seeing so we're able to educate young parents and their parents that this is a career path and there is a job at the end of this for the you know for your son or daughter so I think that's going to be a critical element that we're going to have to tackle as a collective as I said it's about leaders like myself, you know, getting some collaborative networks together, building a STEM career advisor community or a meetup, 
however we can sort of frame that and to get the STEM education for career advisors just to make it part of the rhetoric. And, you know, career advisors go to a lot of events and should be going to seminars and should be keeping themselves up to date with industry trends. They should be on LinkedIn. I don't think any of them are. So it's about how do they, how do we actually put this in front of schools and say, you know, there's some opportunities here. Industry is screaming for people. You've got young people that don't know what they want to do when they leave school. How do we connect it all together? And they were brought up in this tech generation, right? And I remember when I was in year 12, we had to fill out this form and it's like, and, all, and I, I went to an all girls school and all the other girls were like, I want to be a nurse and I want to be a doctor, a lawyer. And it's like, there was all these categories and I answered, no, I don't want to do any of that. I got to the end of it and the teacher's like, so what are you going to do? You don't want to do any of these things. I'm like, because I don't like any of these things. Hmm. I didn't go to university. I moved to Sydney from regional town in Queensland. Well, you know, coastal regional town. And then I just found my way in the world. Now, admittedly, that was probably a bold move at 18 and never being in a large city like this before. But I was like, I'm just going to make my way in the world because there is, I, I didn't want to work in a trade. I didn't want to be in the military and I didn't want to work in mining. And those were like the main <laughs> things. So I was like, yeah. well, I've got to do something. But no one present, and how they presented IT was like working in a help desk or the guy that comes around in school to fix your computer. And it's much yeah. more complex than that. And I think it's about shaping that narrative and advertising in a way that is appealing to young people. And yep. I think there's that disconnect. We're advertising things the wrong way. And because of that, we're not sort of attracting the talent and the interest that we could do if we make a few sort of amendments to that. And this is basic 101 advertising. Correct. And you hit the nail on the head. And I think the jargon that we play, even the word STEM, I'm like, oh, I've got two daughters that have just recently left school. And if I spoke to them about the work that I do, their eyes would glaze over. But what they don't realise is that they're using technology every day in the roles that they're both in now. Mm. And, you know, they could have done with some good content creation training when they were at school. They could have done with someone teaching them how to design and develop a digital portfolio. They could have done with a career session on building your LinkedIn profile, following meetup networks, mm. you know, because they leave school and they have none of these skills, but now they're needing them in the workforce. Absolutely. There's such a disconnect. Yeah, and not to mention the lack of young women going into STEM vocations. I mean, it's, it's not getting better, it's, it's actually getting worse. And again, it comes down to lack of education, STEM or technical or technology training, whatever you want to call it, starting too late. It should be in preschool, it should be in primary. By the time you get to secondary, it's too late. They've already made up their mind that they don't want to do it. And then all of a sudden, you know, they're not going into these careers that are, are very well paid and have and great prospects for them. And the diversity of thinking is important in, in these careers. So again, there's a lot of work to do with parents, industry, career advisors and teachers and, and industry to sort of go, how do we start to break down the negative narrative, as you said, and really start to build an exciting opportunity that are available? So that's a big job. I'm, I'm not sure that just one, one person is not going to be able to probably tackle that. But as a collective, we definitely can. And we can do it through, you know, the different spaces that, that I lead, like the Wyndham Tech School Cybersecurity Training Centre out at St Albans and the Sunshine Skills Hub that we've got out of uh, Ballarat Road and Sunshine. These are really modern, fun, funky sort of spaces where you can learn all these skills and we can connect you with industry and we can connect you with industry bodies and we can teach you how to, to think about what a career in this sector would look like. So it's about doing more of this type of work but getting the message out there, getting the visibility out there. Even in the esports space, as you know, Carissa, I mean, there's thousands of jobs that support the esports and gaming industry, and it's not about playing games. And again, you know, we need to dispel that. We're not teaching kids to play games. What we're teaching them to do is to design games. What we're teaching them is entrepreneurial skills that they could actually learn everything they need to know about running their own team, whether it's a, it could be an esports team, but it's all around, you know, business acumen. It's around finance. It's about sponsorship. It's about marketing. It's about social media. It's those skills that they will learn that will set them on the path for the rest of their life. But it's around technology. 
you know, technology, I mean, gaming is bigger than MGM and it's bigger than Netflix as an industry. But no one's talking about the careers and the jobs that are available to support that industry. I think things like esports, for example, from what I hear, it's, it's what I hear from certain people is that it's dismissed because it, that's not a real job. Yeah. That's not a real career. And I hear yeah. this narrative a lot from parents, from people perhaps living in a different generation yep. that didn't have the opportunities, right? And so I do hear that a lot. Or oh, my kid does X, but, you know, he doesn't leave his house and he gets paid for it. Like, it's yep. ridiculous. It's all my... <laughs> I hear that a lot from people and I'm sure if we sort of remove that barrier I think that it will become more sort of ubiquitous that these are the types of roles because I mean even if you go back people aren't blacksmiths anymore we've had to evolve Mm -hmm. the same thing is existing today that what we did in the 70s where people could smoke in an office Mm. things have changed since then and I think it's that learning that yes okay that wasn't around when you were a kid or when you were growing up but it is now and then these types of roles when these kids become older will change as well and I think that's just the evolution of how we operate as a society but again there's still that negative response there yeah and it is and this sector that we're in is scary to a lot of parents it's like you know you're talking another language so again it's about Yeah, it's about the language that we use and it's about, try to talk about transferable skills a lot. Mm. So even if you do work in gaming, for example, or game design, it's content creation at the end of the day. You're creating imagery, you're looking at user experience, you're looking at the design. Those skills are across every single industry sector. Again, you know, so that transferable. So how do we look at the work that we're doing in in STEM and IT and all those jargony words and just make it about, you know, digital literacy skills. It's just digital literacy and it's across every single vocation and you're going to need them. It's going to make you more employable. We talk about they call the hybrid economy, which is if you're going to work in marketing, you're going to need to know data analytics. You're going to need to know content creation. You're going to be working with a CRM. Going to be working with project management tools. Going to be working with you know cloud software. So it's all of that. You're going to be working with video conferencing tools. So this is about just if you're doing marketing, you're going to need all these other digital literacy skills that are going to wrap around it, and that's going to make you more employable. Absolutely. Because you can say I've done marketing, but guess what? I've used all these platforms. I understand how to communicate. I understand how to do, use social media. I understand how to, you know, create images and messages that that are digital. And I understand, you know, user interface and how people use it on both mobile and PC. So it's all about a skills that wrap around. So that's what the hybrid economy is about. And same if you're going to be a psychologist, you're going to need to know data analytics, aren't you? You're going to have databases that you're going to be using and reporting. You might have your own profile and your own personal brand, so you've got your own LinkedIn. So this is around us, it's swimming around us, and it's like a tsunami. It's getting bigger and bigger every day. And we need to take it seriously because our young people are going to be left behind. Mm, Absolutely. So one of the things that you and I spoke about is the growth in digital jobs in Australia, which will rise significantly. And from memory, you sort of said the rise will be 6 million additional digital literacy workers. Now, from what the conversation that we had, would you say to solve that problem? I mean, it's not like this is the silver bullet solution, but what you were talking about earlier around bringing together industries, schools, career advisors to have this level of cooperation that we're bringing this unified message to steer young people into these types of jobs, I think there needs to be that piece. And like you said, that movement there, and of course it's not going to happen overnight and it's not going to be one single person or one single entity. It's going to be that cohesive ecosystem coming together to to solve that. Because, I mean, you you can't – Australia is quite a small place and 6.5 million is is still a lot of people. And so – that's a lot. That's a lot, right? There's mm-hmm. only 25 million from memory or 26 million people that live here. So that that's quite a big chunk. And I don't believe that we are really there yet, but that's why we're trying to have these conversations to elevate to organisations, to parents, to, to school kids to say, this is the area you need to work in. But like you were sort of saying earlier, 
we need to sort of come together so we can start bridging that gap collectively and not just on our own because if we work in sort of more solidarity we all have a bigger impact yeah and and i think that it's not a difficult i mean it's a mammoth challenge but it's not difficult in the sense that if I'm a school leader I say a principal and we're looking at and they're constantly looking at ways of innovating and updating curriculum it's not like this is not on their radar but it's a major change it's a massive change piece in a school as well so it's about taking every single subject Mm. let's call it and I've been out of the secondary school system for a while but every single subject that is taught (laughs) and every single subject that is taught should have a technology component to it so that's not difficult so if you're teaching mass what technology are you using to teach mass if you're teaching english what technology are you using to deliver key messages if you're teaching viscom what content creation platforms how much of the adobe product are you teaching so it's about as a school leadership team and as curriculum designers it's about going it doesn't matter what you teach we're going to break down these silos IT doesn't just sit out on its own little island anymore. It underpins every single subject. And that's not difficult like to do, but it needs to be mandated that every single subject that we teach from year seven to year 12 Absolutely. is supported by some type of technology. Absolutely. I think that it's going to be a big challenge though, isn't it? <laughs> to be able to and young people, well, and young people, we get a lot of students through and we have got a student leadership program that we've just set up. And I asked one student sort of what they think their school needed to do to sort of engage them more in technology. And they sort of said, if my school changed the way students experience technology, they would gain much more interest mm. in this year, in this area. So... It's about the student experience, you know, nothing's changed, we're all humans, we all want to touch it, feel it, taste it, look at it, play with it, and it's that whole experience piece which is missing. If it's just like we'll go onto Google and search for something, well kids are already doing that. It's about, okay, how do you design something? So we're also looking at the design thinking process, the problem solving process, and what piece of technology is going to help you solve that problem. So for our example here in the tech school, it's set up with a lot of technology. However, 90% of our programs have nothing to do with the technology. It's about what problem has industry given us to solve. We go through the design thinking process and then look at, okay, so now what type of equipment is going to help us solve that problem or communicate? So is it going to be a humanoid robot? Is it going to be a collaborative robot? Is it not going to be a robot at all? Is it going to be something we can do through a software application? So it's about, you know, playing with different types of technology to help come up with a solution to a problem. So we don't start with the technology. We start with the problem, and it's about the the cognitive thinking part as as front and centre, and then the technology underpins and helps to support a solution. And that's easy for a school to implement that as far as, having a technology element to to every single subject. In our earlier chats, you mentioned the government has less than 50% funding in digital education opposed to other areas like trades, for example. This won't really solve the problem that we just discussed before, that 6.5 million additional workers that we need. So what would be your advice that industry can do to increase government funding to, to solve that deficit? Because I just don't think what's happening now, we're not gonna get even close to that number. Yeah, so I'm, I'm perplexed. I mean, I've been in TAFE for 20-odd years, so I've seen it, it go through lots of changes. The government funding model is really based on what they see as where the jobs are. So Australia needs hundreds and thousands of apprentices So in trade, so that always is the number one priority. We also have a health care sector that needs hundreds of nurses. So those types of vocations are funded at about $14 an hour, whereas cybersecurity is funded at $6.50 per student contact hour. So 50% less. So it's really difficult for a TAFE to go, okay, I'm going to build a state-of-the-art cybersecurity training centre. I'm going to build a state-of-the-art factory of the future with robotics. I'm going to get some robotic welding, sort of set up a a robotic welding station. And $6.50 an hour, you're never ever going to get the income 
for for business, any business, to be able to build those types of spaces with that types of technology. Never mind get the teachers with the capability to teach that. So this is why you're not seeing a lot of these types of programs being taught in in TAFE and higher ed because it's very expensive. It's no more expensive than trades, mind you, because they still have facilities that are very expensive to run and still have a shortage of teachers as well. Mm. But it's not being addressed at all. And until that, until government go, oh, my God, this is a priority for us now, we need to start funding. I mean, Cert4 and Cyber at the moment is free, so there's definitely some support there for students to get them involved. So we're getting a stream through. But all of our other qualifications, and we've only got three that sort of cover the, the sectors that I've been talking about, we're just not getting the funding. So if you don't get the funding... You know, it's difficult to run these programs. So that pathway that I'm talking about from secondary school to TAFE to higher ed, it's, it's not, it's getting wider because there's just, I can't say to a student, right, now that you've done robotics, here's a robotic course, a 12-month robotic course at my TAFE and, and you will have a, a graduate program at the moment like I've been able to do for cybersecurity. Mm. So I'm sort of a bit dismayed as to why this is not a priority. I think it's starting to become a priority. Though I think that industry bodies are starting to influence government and say, look, there is a shortage of, I mean, cyber gets all the press at the moment, but there is a shortage of workers across the board mm. in this space. And particularly now with immigration not happening, visas aren't being extended. Where are the workers coming from? Mm, absolutely. So would you say, I mean, a lot of industry people listen to this podcast, a lot of heavy hitters do as well. Mm. So what do we need to do? Do we need to rally people up in the industry, people with high profiles or yep. whoever, and yep. go to the government and say, this is what we need to do, or else we're not, we can't protect our nation, first and foremost, because we don't even have enough people. Yeah, so, that's exactly what we need to do. And it's the power of the industry. I mean, I must say, in the three years that I've been setting up these projects and, and pushing the visibility of these projects into the business, industry have been behind me 110%. I can pick up the phone. I need we're going to we're going to put a panel discussion together. I need your advice. I need uh, us to to help me with an application for funding. They are there. They are at your doorstep and they are really behind this movement. So you know, industry don't know a lot about education though either. So, you know, it's like, "Oh, yeah, what do you do and how can we help?" But they what they do know and what they are feeling is a skill shortage. So, my thinking is, okay, Industry need us, we need industry, the community needs both of us because they're young people, you know, our young people need work. So how do we as a collective come together to really push the urgency of training in this space to a priority that it's not currently at? And that will take a movement, that will take industry, that will take community and it's going to take it and we need to work together not just for six months or 12 months this needs to be a sustainable lifelong partnership well after I've left this earth this is the future if industry aren't working and connecting with us and we're not working side by side we're not going to be able to bridge this gap the skills gap that we're that we've got in front of us I just, from my point of view, working in industry, there still seems to be a lot of disparity between people trying to do their own thing. But again, it's like, it's going to take sustainability there. So what I have learnt with certain people is that they have the energy to do it, but then they can't sustain it. There's no longevity, right? So we're going to need to get the right players involved that are willing to carry the torch when it's sunny or raining or hailing, it doesn't matter. And I think it's going to get the right people with influence to be able to, to back it up and to have sort of the to have sort of the audacity to go and tell government this is what we need to do or else you your nation is going to be in dire straits absolutely because they're already talking about it now and it's going to get worse and 6.5 million people like it's a big chunk of our whole economy and it's going to be quite a significant problem and we need to start talking about it or else it's just going to sort of unravel yeah, and it's also current industries, to help them progress, they need their workers to have digital literacy skills. They, you know, every time there's a new piece of software added to their suite of software, let's let's just say, who's upskilling these people so they can use not 10% of the software, which most people can only ever use 10% because they don't have the skills to use 100%. 
What would happen if there was emphasis on training in that space where existing workers are actually getting trained to learn 50% of a, a software solution? What productivity could that do to increase for a business? And cybersecurity, everyone should know cybersecurity. doesn't matter what level of the business you're at. You should know if you're getting a phishing email. As a minimum, you should know what to do and how to report it and how to deal with that. You should know the password is the way that most people can hack into your computer. So through passwords, so it's like basic education. Imagine if every worker had that, what that productivity would mean for that business. So there's lots of small little wins that we could have that would help businesses, as well as as obviously big wins like getting more young people into employment. So it's a debatable conversation, and I'm not the smartest person in the room, if that makes sense. Like, I'm doing this through experience and through my industry collaborative relationships I have, through my wonderful team that I have working alongside me. We're a small fish in a big sea, so imagine what, what could happen if we all got together. Absolutely. Who do you think sort of should be driving this at the coalface? Because I don't know, people always say it's government, but I just feel like that's probably not the right answer. I feel like it does need to be someone in industry or someone in private enterprise, someone in that. I just don't feel, because the reason I say that, or else we wouldn't even be asking the question, like who's driving it, or else government would already be doing it. And I think we need to get someone in the private sector to drive this or or something of that nature to be able to to push it ahead of what's happening at the moment yeah and look there's pop there's pockets of innovation like there's an ai hub up in queensland where the government's backed that queensland seems to be doing some really good work in this space i think as a collective i think what we can no longer do is work in in silos anymore i think those days have gone and education mm. with all universities you know have their own sort of agendas. TAFEs have their own agendas. Every secondary school runs as separate businesses. Uh, I I just don't think that that is going to sustain us into the future if we don't, as a collective, come together and don't worry about competing against each other because knowledge is out there in the World Wide Web. Knowledge is free. Now, don't worry about your content. It's all free. You can get it from anywhere. Absolutely. It's about working with industry to make sure that the skills that the students are leaving us So I'm talking about assessments here. So, you know, we can get the content from anywhere. Teachers need to to understand how to facilitate, how to build teams, how to teach those soft skills and help with the technical stuff. But the real interesting part is the assessments. What are, how are we assessing people to make sure that when they leave us and hit the ground running in the workforce, that industry go, oh my God, that student has been trained to the level that we require and all beyond. So yeah, I don't think it needs a lot of money thrown at it, to be quite honest. I think it's about getting the right people in the room, having the right strategy, building a sustainable model, understanding what that looks like, and then having the support and the leadership to actually push it out, you know, through. And I think the tech school model is a good example of how that could work. It's slow. So I think we need about another, you know, 100 tech schools in Victoria to really start to get that momentum going. So that's the secondary school looked after. So they're having a great experience. But you can't then dumb our students down, for want of a better word, when they get to TAFE and higher ed. So you can't take them from these amazing project-based industry-centric learning spaces and then move them into the TAFE sector and the technology and the industry connections and the project-based learning's not there. Absolutely. I love that. I I really love everything that you said today on our interview as I mentioned earlier, like just your honest opinion, I think that's what people need to hear, the reality of what's happening, what we need to do and start doing it and not just talk about it, start walking the journey as well. So Gail, I really 100%, I always enjoy talking to you. I really appreciate the time you've given today to talk through some of your thoughts. If people perhaps have a question for you that I did not ask you today, how can they go about getting in contact with you? Oh, hit me up on LinkedIn. I think that's the fastest and quickest way to get an answer. And I'm, I'm happy to take it offline through telephone or email if that's required. Yeah, love to. Wonderful. Well, thanks again, Gail. Really appreciate it. And I can't wait to get you back on the show. And thanks for having me, Carissa. I really appreciate um, you taking the time to have a chat with me. 
Thanks for tuning in. We hope that you found today's episode useful and you took away a few key points. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast to get our latest episodes. If you'd like to find out how KBI can help grow your cyber business, then please head over to kbi.digital. This podcast was brought to you by KBI.media, the voice of cyber.